Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled Cosmos and Legions, was given on November 4th, 2018 by Bethany Shea. Lord God, it is such an honor and a joy to gather as your saints in this place. Lord, we recognize that your presence dwells within human beings, but yet when we gather together, it's like your presence is like concentrated. (laughs) And so we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that as we get into your word today, um, that you will have something for each of us. So Lord, our hands are open because we want to release this time to you. We want to release what we've been holding on to tightly, the things that might keep us from being present to your presence. We place that by your feet. And Lord, our hands are also open because we know that you have something specific for each of us that not just edifies us as, a, as individuals, Lord, but it edifies all of us together. So Lord, we pray that our hands and our hearts and our eyes and our ears are open to that. We thank you for this place that we get to worship you in. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we've been in a series for the last number of weeks on John 3.16, and we looked at For God a few weeks, and then we looked at So Loved, and this week we're looking at the world. Uh, And so anybody want to spout out your good uh, Sunday school learning of of John 3.16? Anybody? For God. Oh my gosh, gold stars for everybody. You're going on the board. That was amazing. <laughs> All right, so turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John. I know, it's confusing because we just said John, but now we're in 1 John. So John is one of the disciples of Jesus. He writes the Gospel of John, and then later on he writes a commentary about the Gospel in 1 John. So we're going to read a little bit of 1 John, and we're going to read verses 15 to 17, and then just kind of like sit with it for a minute before we get into the passage that uh, I feel like the Lord is giving us today. So it says here, um, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. All right. So we're just going to sit with that for a minute, because it feels very opposite from what we just spouted out from our good old John 3.16 Sunday school verse. What's going on there for you guys? Like, what what comes up from that? Anything come to the surface about what it means about the world and that compared to John 3:16? What are the verses? First John 2, verses 15 to 17. Yeah. Not of the world. Yeah, that it reminds me of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, anything else coming up? 
To love the things of God and not of the world. Yeah, that's good. I, I like how, um, like for me, I'm always, I always think that I'll have a definition of what the world is and like, oh, this is, this is bad from the world and this is good of the world or whatever. But I like how it says, he says, for everything in the world, and then he defines it, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's kind of like, I mean, where have you experienced this? Tell me what you mean, what, what do you think he means when he says the pride of life? I don't need God. Yeah. 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 Of course he loves his creation. He yeah. sees that it because he sees that it is good. And then so it seems like this contradiction here to say we shouldn't love this, but what that's saying right. is you're you're kind of missing the point, and I'm guilty of this sometimes. When it, sometimes I go out in nature and I see God's glory reflected in nature, mm-hmm. and that's beautiful. But sometimes I'm seeing the creation and not the creator. That's right. What it said. That's what the, that distinction says to me. Is yeah. yes, God can love the world. We should love God, mm-hmm. not His creation. Gotcha. That's so. good. Yeah, for sure. Anything else coming up? Yeah, Marta. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that sense of like the what the world says is normal is not necessarily what Jesus is saying is normal. The world says what's normal is to take as much as you can, to make a name for yourself, to get on top. Uh, so like the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh is almost like this sense of continuing to pursue at the cost of everybody else. No matter what it is that you can, that whatever it is that you need or that whatever it is that you want, you will take regardless of the cost of other people. And I think that God is a very global-minded God. I don't know about you, but for me, I, I forget that a lot of the rest of the world exists sometimes because I get so focused on my, on my world, on Humboldt County, on Arcata, on the things that are happening in my life, that I forget how much of the decisions I make and the decisions that we make as a church and as a people affect other people around the world, right? And so, I mean, okay, this, this might be a little bit touchy, but we've got this famine happening in Yemen right now. 
And the way that our American sort of sense of greed or entitlement or the way that we like to um, pursue, right? I mean, it, uh, you know, there's, a, there's big questions that we have to ask ourselves as Christians every day. There's things that we are willing to release to, to Jesus. And there's other things like, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I'm willing to give up an iPhone. Even though it's helpful, even though it's, it's causing pain in another area of the world. And we're not going to solve these sorts of things today, but there's a reality that Jesus says here, and then John talks about it, like these things that we are pursuing as people are not necessarily the things that God has created and designed us to pursue. And we have to sit in that tension. And I think as Christians, we oftentimes like to bury our heads in the sand or not see the pain of our brothers and sisters and not experience what other people are experiencing because it's easier to ignore. We live in a very individualistic society, um, a very independent society. Um, I love what Russ talks about when it comes to dependence. And something that I've been really sitting in lately is how it's not so much of, of dependence that we're needing to look for, the church has tried to meet the need of, of um, they've tried to meet the need of that independence, trying to combat independence by creating systems of almost codependence, where there's like an unhealthy codependence within the church. But what Jesus is inviting people into is something called interdependence, where we are seeing our global brothers and sisters and seeing how our lives affect them. And how our lives in this small church affect each other. And how God is constantly moving between us and through us for the good of all. The good of the world that God so loved. And so it, I'm not going to get too far into that today. because, it, But I just feel like that's something that God has put on my heart to remind all of us of. That we are so connected. That God created us to be connected as people to experience that interdependence, that I get to rely on you, you rely on me. And yeah, we'll fail, but we share with each other how, how we've failed. We, we, we learn from each other, we grow, and we're not afraid of those hard conversations. Any thoughts before we get to today's passage? All right, turn with me to Luke. We'll be in Luke today, because I feel like this passage is one where we are able to see how God loves the world. What's up, Jay? Yeah, I had a question. So, yeah. Um, when you, you're comparing John 3.16 to this passage? A little bit. Just that I think sometimes it gets messed up, like God's love the world, but then later on he says don't love the world. So what world are we talking about? Okay. So are you saying that they're two different worlds? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the world that where John was saying do not love the world, I think that has to do more with like the patterns of the world, the things that we get stuck into, what a lot of times people call as sin. And I know that the word sin is a, is a word that holds a lot of baggage for a lot of Christians uh, raised in the Christian church. Um, but sin simply means missing the mark. It's, a, it's an archery term. So it means like God designed you and created you to live a specific way that looks like care and compassion for all peoples and for the world that God created and called good. And when we aren't living in that way, then we're missing the mark. We're missing the way that God intended us to live. And the world is one that oftentimes misses that mark. Ian. Um, also, this uh, jumping on what Jason's saying over there, um, the two words 
per world. Yeah. Different in, yes. In so the one in John 3 is called Cosmos. Cosmos. It means like all the creative realm. Mm-hmm. And, and the one that is being used in First John is more a system. Right. You know, right. And, um, and, and the broken system. Yeah. And it's kind of unfortunate that we translate both into the same English word. Right, right. Dave? Along with that, in earlier verses, like verse 9, it says, one who says, he is in the light and yet this is true. So it, Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It comes from an area of love. Georgia. Christians, we have a great responsibility to be the bearers of that good news. And if we are living in a way that is not good news for all people, it's not good news. It's either good news for everyone or it's not good news at all. And so that's really important that we continually allow the Spirit to to shape our hearts to see how are we living out the good news for all people. Yeah, Jeff. Well, I think like what you're saying is uh, there's the world that God created, mm-hmm. and then the things that they're saying not to do, that's the world we created. It's the world we created. Yeah. Right. Ooh, that's really good. The world that God created is different than the world that we've created. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Thanks, Jeff. All right. So turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Um, if you didn't know, Jesus was a Jew. And so he has a very Jewish perspective in everything. And God sent Jesus into that Jewish space to bear the good news of God's kingdom to the Jewish people. And what we're going to see here is that God isn't just for one group of people. God is a global God that is willing to cross boundaries and cross lines and cross walls and cross anything that we've put up to be a good God for all people. All right? So that's what we're going to stick in today. But we're going to see it from a very specific experience. Uh, I wrote this sermon like three weeks ago. I don't know if any of you guys listen to Rob Bell. Uh, He's a heretic in lots of different places, and we love heretics. Um, So he has a a podcast out called The Robcast, and he's doing this whole series on Jesus Christ, and it is phenomenal. And he just did one on this passage. So... Uh, he goes even deeper than I will go, so uh, you can always look that up later as well. All right, so it says, we're going we're gonna to read verses 26 to 39. Uh, before we get there, I want you to look at verse 22 there. Because, it, see the heading there, what does it say? Jesus calms the storm. So what Jesus has been doing before we get to this passage is Jesus has been healing lepers, He's casted out demons, and this is all in the Jewish territory, you guys. This is all in, like, Capernaum, Galilee area. He's called his disciples. He's healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. He's um, healed different people. He's uh, healed a paralyzed man. And what he is doing throughout the whole time is he's revealing something called God's kingdom or God's reality 
uh, and he's revealing God's reality to the world as one where the rejected are included and the hyper-religious, the hyper-religious are the ones that are holding people back from actually encountering God. It is incredibly subversive with his teachings. And so what we see is that he is wanting to make a statement that those who are stepping in the way of those who want to experience the reach of God are not in the right place. God is constantly reaching out to the broken, and anyone who stands in the way of God reaching out to the broken is in opposition to God. So then in verse 22, he's going over this the Sea of Galilee. He's with his disciples. A huge storm comes up, and they're like scared for their lives. And a lot of the disciples, at least a handful, are fishermen, so they're probably pretty good swimmers. But the Sea of Galilee is eight miles across. And so if you're in the middle of a storm and you think you're going to go down, it doesn't matter how great of a swimmer you are. That's not your escape route. So they ask Jesus, they're like, hey, don't you care about us? We're, we're going to die here. And Jesus comes up and he, and he rebukes the storm. And what's more important about this storm is not the fact that, that they might not be able to make it through death. It's that the waters, what lived under the waters, represented what was dangerous and dark and evil in the world. There was this common held belief that what lived under the water was complete evil. And so Jesus rebukes that evil. He rebukes the storm. He calls it out over this darkness and and over the deep waters. He's claiming authority over it. And then they land on the other side. And I think that's important because what they're going to experience in this other side of the Sea of Galilee, where all the Gentile people live, the people that are not Jewish live, it's important for them to see that Jesus has just claimed authority over the waters. And therefore, Jesus has authority over everything. All right, so let's read. It says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. So we'll stop there for a second. Demons are kind of tricky, right? (laughs) It's a tricky subject for a lot of us in our culture today. Like we don't really experience demonic activity in the same way as if you went to a third world country or you've spent time in other places like that. It's not something that we are super familiar with. And, and while I think most of us in the room believe that there's some sort of enemy that's against God in the world, the Bible calls that enemy the Satan. And we've seen the proof of this enemy through the fact that, um, you know, the Bible says that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we've experienced that in our own lives, that sense of like our lives being stolen from us and, and those sorts of areas. But we've also seen the church do a really good job at blaming the devil for everything, (laughs) right? The devil made me do it. Um, So we've got like the devil with his pitchfork and his tail 
and we see the devil being created into some sort of cartoon that we can laugh at and silly and one shoulder a devil, one shoulder the, the angel. And so we see the devil as a cartoon or we've seen the devil as some sort of sick, disturbing evil revealed through a horror movie that makes us so we can't sleep at night. And what we tend to do is we tend to give no credit to the enemy's work or we give obsessive credit to the enemy's work. But what we see here is a demon who looks a lot like maybe what many of us have experienced in our own lives or we've seen experienced. If I look at this man, what we just read here, if I look at this man with demons and I plug in any area of addictions or obsessive behaviors or destructive habits, any way that you have personally experienced or you have loved ones who have personally experienced these hurtful patterns through alcoholism and drug addiction, through cutting and pornography and anorexia and anxiety or depression and schizophrenia and like the myriad of other ways where you felt out of control, where you felt like you have no control in your life. I think that we might find ourselves in a space kind of like this man. When I read this passage, it's easy for me to look at it and be like, there's nothing for me here. But when I see it from that human perspective, things can change. I think we're meant to do that. I mean, because of his demons, he injures himself. He scares those around him. He is isolated in his pain. He backs away from healthy relationships. He is controlled by this outside entity, and he feels utterly trapped. I mean, have you guys experienced pain like this or seen people who have experienced pain like this where you feel a a sort of isolation or, or trapped in the situation that you're in and you don't feel like you can escape through it and it's all you can see and it's all you can experience and you can't get through it? Yeah, yeah. We're almost like the response sometimes is is to numb it, to like ignore it or to try just to get through the pain. (laughs) But in the process, you feel yourself being changed by the situation. Like maybe you fear of who you once were is is, is slipping away. (laughs) Like you don't recognize yourself anymore. Or you don't recognize that person you love so desperately any longer. I think a lot of us, have felt that before. And I love how Jesus approaches this man. This, this Gentile man, this man who doesn't belong in the story of God from that perspective. And he, he, this man represents everything that's against God. This is a man of the world, if you want to put it that way. And Jesus approached this man and commands the demons to go out of him. I mean, he... He knew that this man could not even ask for what he needed. If you noticed, the man doesn't say anything before Jesus casts out those demons. Jesus met this man where he was at, in his destructive state, in his obscene behavior. This guy's naked. He's living in the tombs. He's totally unclean. Jesus meets him in that obscene behavior, meets him in his chaotic mind that would not stop moving. 
And he never waited for the man to muster up his own strength and ability to ask Jesus for help. There were no spiritual bootstraps that Jesus handed the man saying, all right, here's the tools, figure it out. I believe that you can do this. No. Jesus just saw a person where everyone else saw a problem. He saw a human being in need, not a demon-possessed man. Jesus saw worth and value where others had seen an obstacle and a complication that's best to be avoided. And Jesus met him right there. Let's keep reading. Anything coming up yet? All right. All right. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside where the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, really quick here, I always think it's going to be like, it just feels real fast. Like these guys saw what happened to the pigs and they're like, oh gosh, we need to let my neighbor know because he lives right here. This is a countryside and hillside. I bet it took hours to get the news across. No one was texting anybody. So it's not just minutes later. Then that's neither here nor there. Okay. <laughs> when they found, okay, wait. And the people came, went out to see what had happened. Verse 35. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Okay, we're going to stop there. When I was a kid and I would read this, we really didn't read this passage very often. It doesn't really work on the flannel graph, but... (laughs) but I was always so disturbed about the pigs. Like, what happened to the pigs? Why did that happen to the pigs? I'm not going to get into that because it's not important for what I'm getting at. But I think it's interesting about how often we are so disturbed by animal cruelty, more disturbed by animal cruelty than we are by human cruelty. And I think we're meant to be disturbed. We're meant to be disturbed by animal cruelty because God entrusted their safety and their care to humans. And animals are a part of the world that God created and so loved and called very good. Like that is absolutely true. But I wonder if the townspeople were so angry about the animals, they couldn't rejoice about this man who was restored back to health. And I think sometimes those distractions make it hard for us to rejoice in seeing somebody redeemed. But I'm more struck by verse 35. What does it say? Well, you can read it or I can just tell you. It says that we find this man sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he's taken this posture of a disciple or a student. Disciples always sat at the feet of their rabbi. Their rabbi is their teacher. And so we see this man taking a posture as an equal 
disciple at the feet of Jesus, willingly and fully submitting himself to Jesus as his teacher and as his savior. And I love how the text says that he was fully dressed and in his right mind. You know, I think sometimes we have no hope of sitting at the feet of Jesus when there's a legion of voices in your mind that is saying that you are unworthy to do so. When there's a legion, a legion simply means 5,000. There's a legion heading to the border right now. I'm not going to get into that. But when there's a legion of voices in your mind convincing that you are unworthy, that you are damaged, (laughs) that you should be afraid of actually living this good gift of life that God has gifted you with, like how do we possibly sit at the Savior's feet when that is constantly buzzing in our minds? And I think oftentimes healing looks like medication. I think healing looks like therapy. It looks like community. It looks like prayer. Healing looks like the miraculous work of Jesus Christ washing away those voices that said that you are not worthy to sit at his feet. That is what worthiness and and healing looks like. And, 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 And those lies that keep us from even being able to hear Jesus at all are finally muffled and silenced, and you can finally sit and be still at the Savior's feet. I mean, when Jesus rescues you from what enslaves you, from what has caused significant damage to your soul and significant damage to those people who are around you, this rescue isn't so much about what will happen after you die. The church is really good about saying, you need salvation so that way you know where you're going to go someday. (laughs) I think that this rescue and this healing and really this salvation that happened in that moment has much to do with how you live here today on earth about loving this world that God so very loved. I mean, Jesus is the bearer of life. And sometimes his teachings are really hard to understand and they're hard to to grasp a hold of. But Jesus doesn't just rescue us for someday. Jesus restores you for now. Jesus restores you and equips you to bring the truth of this life, this, this kingdom or this reality of God that is good news for all people wherever you are, in everything you do. It's not just for church days. It's for all days. And the truth is, it's hard to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's hard to love our global neighbor or even our next door neighbor if we haven't actually allowed God to love ourselves. If we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves and we've actually never surrendered to the love of Jesus to actually change and shape our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, if we've never actually said yes to God's love to transform and change us, it's really hard to love others if we've never actually accepted it for ourselves. And bestowing that kind of love that we've received from God to our neighbors then becomes a natural response. It's a symbiotic relationship. And oftentimes that comes through telling our stories. Oftentimes healing comes from telling our stories. So it says in verse 38, we'll finish up here. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. 
But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So I don't know how long this guy has been sitting at Jesus' feet. It takes a while to get the news to spread around the countryside for people to come in and interrupt this beautiful thing that was happening. But let's assume he had like four hours with Jesus to sit at his feet. You think he's equipped? (laughs) You think he's ready to share? I don't know why Jesus didn't allow this man to go with him. I mean, being in a small town, you guys, we live in a real small town. You go to Costco, you meet like 15 people you know every single time. Like your business is out there for everybody to see all the time. And so we're at a town where everybody knows everything and gossip spreads like wildfire on a hot and dry and windy day. It just does. Like when you've gotten that divorce, when your grown child is arrested for a DUI and their mugshot is placed on the Lost Coast outpost and then you have to go to church the next Sunday. If you had that affair that was found out. Or let's say you grew up in Humboldt County and you went to Arcata High and you are somebody who everybody knew and you were part of the church or, or not a part of the church, but right after high school you graduate and you get a job at the Tip Top Club and you work there for a while. And then you move away. And then you experience the love of Jesus Christ in your life. And you realize that who you once were is no longer. And then you move back into the town that everybody knew you as this one person as. How do you get through that? How will you ever be taken seriously that you are not the same self-destructive person you once were? How do people ever believe you? Sometimes when Jesus changes us, it's easier to begin elsewhere. It's easier to start over somewhere else. But Jesus tells him to stay and declare how much God has done for him. And as far as we know, this man became the first Gentile evangelist. (laughs) He was the one that was able to bring the God's transforming love to the world, the good news. Marta, what's up? Is that why it says, like, um, after he dressed and was in his right mind, they were afraid? I actually thought that it said they weren't afraid, but I read it again, and I'm like, what? They were afraid. afraid? Yeah. Sometimes when people have those sorts of experiences, we just don't know what to do with, like, Like, if you've been caring for your addict brother for years and years and years, and you've only known him as the guy that's totally addicted on the streets, and then he becomes well, it's hard to know how to interact with that person. And I don't know if it's necessarily against the townspeople, but there is a reality that we get used to interacting with people in a specific way. And when people get healthy, it's hard to know what to do. People are afraid of innocent people. People are afraid of innocent people. And this man was fully innocent because of what Jesus did. Yeah. 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 I think what this man chose to do, though, is he chose to step into something that was really hard. He didn't get to go on the boat with Jesus. He didn't go back to a place where he felt like he was fully accepted. He wasn't fully accepted. The people were afraid of him. 
of his innocence. But he chose to step into that space where he was able to share his testimony of who he was before Jesus and who he is now. And I think we have the same opportunity every day to share the good news of Jesus Christ, of what Jesus has done in our lives, that we are blameless because of Christ, that we are innocent because of Christ, that we are born again, we are new, we are new creations, the old is gone. And we get to share that every day, that Jesus is making something new and beautiful out of your life. I think the the passage also comes with a warning, though. I'm going to end on this. Uh, In verse 27, any thoughts before we get to the warning? (laughs) All right. In verse 27, it says, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. That word demon-possessed there... um, this man, who, who the man was known as before Jesus healed him, uh, was Demonian Echo. That, that's the name of demon-possessed man. It means that he has been held by demons. It means that he is totally powerless by these forces. He has absolutely no control over anything that's happening to him because he is totally powerless to these forces. But then in verse 36, it says, Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Same word there, demon-possessed, as we just read up there, and so our English can get a little confusing. In the Greek, it's a totally different word. The word which I'm going to butcher is demonosomai. I'm saying it wrong. Demonosomai. Demonosomai. I practiced it and I couldn't get it. But that word in Greek, demonosomai, means to be rendered passive towards a demon. So people who have given their lives to Jesus, who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of Jesus, cannot be demon-possessed. But you can be demonosomai. (laughs) I think it's incredibly possible to become passive to forces that are against God and against God's reality. There are areas in your life where Jesus has healed you and saved you, and yet you might find yourself being drawn back to those familiar spaces and familiar patterns and addictions and obsessions that marked your life before Christ. And slipping back into those old patterns and old behaviors isn't because the devil made me do it. I think it's easy that we can slip into those old destructive ways when we believe the lie that says that God actually hasn't set us free. When we stop telling the story of all that Jesus has done for us, when we are no longer amazed at how much Jesus has saved us from, When I step back, when I stop looking back at the trajectory my life was headed without Jesus, and I begin to see it all as normal, I begin to take grace for granted. And I think this man, it says that he's told how much God had done for him. That continual story that he told again and again and again is the thing that kept him grounded to that place. 
Colossians 2, 13 to 15 says that when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So I think as people of God who have been set free, where the old is gone, may we never stop telling the story to the whole world of how much God has made us alive in Christ. Like God so loved the world and we are part of that story. And it's this continual storytelling that we do to each other and to our neighbors and back and forth. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.